0: One of the greatest mistakes that many people commit is that they think everything is fine when disobeying the Lord at first because it is not readily visible or evident to them the effects of disobedience. They think that because they did not see the lightning bolt come down on them at that exact point that they got away with it or that there are no consequences. But that couldn't be farther from the truth hello and welcome to another message from the latter rain ministries where we're dedicated to sharing jesus christ and his truth with the world in today's message we'll be talking about how disobeying the lord causes self-destruction obeying the lord produces unlimited life and in all kinds of respects especially in the spiritual world which matters the most god's kingdom is the only thing that lasts forever but the opposite is also true If a person chooses to disobey the Lord, then they will only bring upon themselves painful consequences that affect them personally, sooner or later. Quite simply, God is not affected by our disobedience. We are. Today's message is inspired on the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13. Let us pray together to the Lord. Lord God, heavenly Father, mighty God, creator of heaven and earth, the one that was, that is, and is to come. Blessed be your name, O Lord God, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Blessed are you, O Lord God, hallowed and glorified be your name. May your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus humbly that you may please forgive my sins and my wrongs, Lord God. Heavenly Father, we are so imperfect. I give you thanks for your forgiveness, Lord God. Heavenly Father, I pray, Holy God, that you may please, Heavenly Father, help us to understand your will, your ways. Help us, O Lord, to be able to have a heart to obey you, to follow what you want us to do, Heavenly Father, help us to understand that it is necessary to be faithful. It is necessary to put our complete faith and trust in you, in your word, and to endeavor to do your will as much as possible. Help us, O God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's key passage reading can be found in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 13. This is the word of the Lord. And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar. Thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice a priest of the high places who burn incense on you and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall be split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him! Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had not seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to the sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him and he rode on it and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I've been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. He said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, Bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah saying, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your father's. So it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him, and his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. Now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saying, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled it. Then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion had not eaten the corpse, nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, and brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. Then he laid the corpse in his own tomb, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother! So it was, after he had buried him, that he spoke to his son, saying, When I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar of Bethel against all the shrines on the high places, which are the cities of Samaria, will surely come to pass. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way, but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Throughout this passage, we see that God said two things to two people, and they both disobeyed. We see King Jeroboam and this person referred to as the man of God. Now, regarding Jeroboam, God had said that he did not want sacrifices done in high places outside of Jerusalem. And also, Jeroboam was not to do things that were supposed to be done only by the priests. Even though he was king, it was not his place to burn sacrifices to the Lord. And regarding the man of God, the Lord had told him not to eat or drink anything in the territory he was sent to go prophesy in. We saw that both disobeyed, and despite seeing God's hand in action, the man of God had seen how even the Lord in an instant had withered the king's hand when the king commanded to have him arrested, and of course, the fulfillment of prophecy. And Jeroboam experienced both God's punishment when his hand was withered, and he also experienced God's mercy when his hand was healed miraculously. Both men received God's instructions. Both saw God work miraculously. And yet, both disobeyed the Lord and both were destroyed because of their disobedience. And so we can conclude that when God says something and people deliberately defy the Lord, they bring upon themselves their own self-destruction. Pretty simple to understand, right? What is the first takeaway we can see from all of this? God says things for a reason. There are very distinct reasons for why the Lord says what to do or not do. There are no accidents. There is no just because in the Lord. If the Lord gives directives, he has good reason for them. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we may not always understand the reasons. Whatever the Lord commands may or may not make sense to us, but that doesn't mean that just because we don't understand something, that it does not make sense in all reality. There are quite a few things all of us depend on and we don't know exactly how they work or why they are the way they are. There is a common saying that people have where they say that God works in mysterious ways. Just because something is a mystery to us does not mean that there isn't a very rational explanation. Something that is a mystery means that the reason or how something works is just unknown to us. But there is a reason. There is something that makes things what they are. With this notion that we may not understand the reasons for why we should or should not do in the Lord, we need to understand that God is simply a much higher being than us. First in this is that the Lord is God and we are not. So within that itself, we as human beings have varying limitations. We cannot see what God sees. We cannot know what God knows. And of course, we cannot do what God does. It's just impossible for us to ever get to where the Lord is. So it is impossible, at least in our own present state, to understand what God understands. For it is written, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there it is. We have our extreme limitations in comparison to the Lord. Jesus also said this when speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. So then, We even have a difficult time understanding physical and natural things, things that should be common sense to us. Having said that, how can we even come to understand things that go beyond? We simply do not have the capacity to understand the why for everything the Lord says and does. But again, that does not mean that there isn't a very good reason. Another aspect within all of this to consider then is that understanding should not be a requirement for obedience. Just because we don't understand what the Lord tells us to do or not do, doesn't mean that we shouldn't obey or go along with it. This involves things like faith and trust. Some might say, I really don't do anything without understanding full well why I should or should not do something. And I would challenge that by saying, everyone on this earth does or does not do things without fully understanding what they're getting themselves into or knowing how things work. People exercise an incredible amount of faith on things that, quite frankly, are truly more doubtful and less trustworthy than anything else. Let's start with things that may not seem as bad, per se, but yet people exhibit great faith and trust in them, and despite the fact of not knowing how they work. For example, it is estimated that 2.2 billion people traveled by airplane last year, which is actually 50% of the amount that traveled the year before, which was more than 4 billion passengers. That's a lot of people. Yet how many of them are engineers? Do all of those 2.2 billion people that traveled in airplanes last year understand how a plane actually works? Do they understand aerodynamics and mechanical propulsion? I could consider myself a moderately educated person as a college graduate with an architecture degree, along with other studies and training, not including the many years of Bible study. Yet I only understand bits and pieces of how a plane actually works. I honestly really don't know how a plane really works. How do thousands of pounds of metal, plastic fabric, along with hundreds of passengers, in most cases with their luggage and bags, cruise at over 30,000 feet or 9,000 meters above the Earth's surface for hundreds of miles? Yet, not millions, but rather billions of people fly every year on them, and they put their family and their loved ones in them. That is a large group of people that don't know how something works. Yet they put their own lives and their loved ones' lives in them all of the time. How about cars? That's even more of a no-brainer, right? That's as common as common can be. Many of us have to use a car or bus to go somewhere every day. For me, it's actually a strange day that I don't use my car to go somewhere. In the United States, for instance, about 87% of our population travels either by automobile or light truck. If we do simple math, that's about 287 million people. 287 million people traveled in some sort of car or small truck. That's a lot of people again. Yet how many of us know how a car actually works? Where are our engineering degrees? Are we all mechanics? Do you understand the point that is being driven here? In the United States alone, there are hundreds of millions of people that get in things daily to go wherever they need to go and many of us can't even explain how they work. There are many people that drive cars, for instance, that don't even know exactly when to change the oil in their own vehicles, let alone know how it all works. Let's talk about things that really might hit home for some of you that are dangerous, yet they are done all of the time and without second thoughts. How about sexual relationships outside of the marriage? And this would include premarital sex or sexual affairs out of the marriage. There are many, many people that have sex all of the time and with different people, and there is not enough concern over the potential risk to stop them. The CDC estimates that one in five people in the United States have a sexually transmitted infection as of 2021. That's 20% of our entire population, and this could involve an HPV infection to HIV. There are millions upon millions of people that have something wrong with them health-wise that is sexually transmitted, yet that doesn't stop hardly anyone to do what they do with all kinds of people all the time, without even asking anything and without even any kind of protection. And somehow many people think that using some sort of small protective device on a very small area of your body is like a magic shield that can protect against anything that can go wrong. Some people still think that oral contraceptives are synonymous with having protections from an STI. Many are just worried about the unwanted pregnancy part, but not worried enough to just stop and think for a couple of minutes before getting physically involved with someone that could be a complete stranger. Many people find out the hard way when they discover that their sexual partner or sexual adventure gave them a little something to remember them by. Let's get into other things that all of us do all of the time without even having a clue of how something is treated or what things actually are and so on. How about food? We all eat food all of the time, right? It's just part of daily survival. And how many of us actually know what is done with our food, whether we buy it at a restaurant or at a grocery store, or whether it is packaged, or even if we think we're buying something fresh. The only person that could say that they know how their food came about is someone, for instance, that ate the tomato they grew in their own garden. That's probably the only example that I could give you of someone that knows what was done with their food before putting it in their body. Other than that, most of us really don't know. There is non-GMO and organic foods now, but okay. It's written on the package or it's on the sign at the store, but did you see it? Did you witness all that happened with it? No, right? Yet you are putting your trust in people and things that you don't even know. You have to though, right? Because it's a necessity or else you would go crazy. How about medications? Were you at the lab where they were produced? How about using illegal substances? How trustworthy are those suppliers? Wouldn't God's name happen with the drugs you put into your body or yourself at some point? Only God knows. But a lot of people just go and use them without even batting an eye. And we could go on and on and on with all things that people do and eat and so on without even having any kind of idea day in and day out. Some good things, other risky things. And of course, we have the bad things that many people do all the time without even having an idea or a clue of what they're getting themselves into. Everyone does things all of the time without knowing anything about them or what's even involved with them. So the argument of I don't do anything without understanding it first is false, 100%, irrefutable. So we don't really need to know the ins and outs of something in order to obey or to do something or to get involved with it. We have proven that everyone has more than enough capacity to do even the stupidest things based on some level of trust and faith. And so let's inject some common sense here. It is important to understand who we take our lead from. Most people in this world choose to trust very fallible things and people. As humans, we are all very fallible. There is no one perfect. So if there is no one perfect, should we put our faith and trust in each other so blindly? I would have to say that that is not a good idea. People sometimes fail even without any kind of malice. And of course, people do bad things all the time to other people. Most people are watching out for number one, for themselves. But assuming again that there is no malice in some people in general, people will still fail. We are all very limited beings with very limited capabilities. And the things we have made because we have made them are also very limited in nature on their own. Everything we see that involves us and our existence is very limited within itself. All of the money in the world cannot stop anyone from dying. We will all die at some point. A person having the greatest army in the world cannot even extend their life for five minutes based on their own strength when their time comes. Famous people die all of the time. How many doctors with the best intentions and with great education and training have had people die on them? So logic would dictate that we should put our faith and trust in something or someone greater than us. And of course, I offer to you the Lord as someone that can be fully trusted, someone we could put our faith in. Now, we should be able to follow and trust the Lord because of who he is and because of what he has done. Just like the scripture says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? We could talk for a long time about the things the Lord has done. No one has his resume or his CV as some of you refer to it. But the quickest and greatest highlights we can talk about are about creation and how he made everything that exists. And of course, how he gave his only begotten son to die for us as a sacrifice for our sins so that through Jesus Christ, we could have the hope of salvation. These things speak about his power and about his love. Praise be to the Lord that not only is he powerful, but he is also a loving and gracious God. His power wouldn't do us much good unless he were as loving and as merciful as he is. And because he is loving, he provides us direction through his word. As the loving father, he wants to be to each and every person. I have to say he wants to be because the Lord is so fair and just and loving. That he has given man free will, the ability to choose for themselves what they want to do. We always need to remember that love is choice. And so he wants us to choose for him. He wants us to follow him because we love him. So therefore, regarding his word, his instruction, his counsel to mankind, this is what we read in 2 Timothy. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And what do the scriptures teach us mainly about? They teach us about faith, about believing what we need to believe, so we can have faith in the Lord and put our trust in him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. The word of God should be everything to us. Everything outside of the Lord started through his word. He spoke things into existence. That's the power of his word. And finally, the power of his word causes life in us, eternal life. Nothing else in this whole universe has that power. This is what we read in John chapter 6 where it says, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The apostles understood the reality that eternal life could only be found in the words of the Lord. That's why they lived for the Lord and when it came down to it, they died for the Lord also, for the sake of something that was greater than themselves, that even through their physical death, they could find eternal life and eternal reward. And so in short, obeying the Lord brings about incredible things that we cannot even imagine. But the opposite is also true, which is that if we choose to disobey the Lord, then terrible things will happen and we will lose out on the eternal life and reward that he does want to share with those that have come to love him. When people choose to disobey the Lord, they bring about their own self-destruction. If we look at the history written on the pages of the Bible, we can see that at every point, man's disobedience towards God brought man their own destruction. Nothing good ever came out of disobeying the Lord. One of the greatest mistakes that many people commit is that they think everything is fine when disobeying the Lord at first because it is not readily visible or evident to them the effects of disobedience. They think that because they did not see the lightning bolt come down on them at that exact point that they got away with it or that there are no consequences. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. There are consequences, dire ones. When people choose to disobey the Lord, the consequences may not be a lightning bolt consuming them in an instant. But when we choose to disobey the Lord, that is the nature of sin. And sin will always produce death, for the wages of sin is death. Now for the follower of Christ, not just a person that says that they believe, but for the person that truly follows and fears the Lord, we'll still sin because we are very imperfect people. But there is forgiveness in the Lord when there is repentance, when there is a humble heart before the Lord. But we must also keep in mind that just because there is forgiveness, that doesn't mean that if we sin, that we may be free from the natural consequences of sin. I'll give you an example that is very applicable to today's world. What we had talked about before. We spoke about sexual immorality, about sex outside of the marriage. If a person commits that sin, and they repent and stop doing it, God will forgive them. But they have still left themselves open to the natural consequences of being involved with either an unwanted pregnancy or to have a sexually transmitted infection or to even have a damaged and or disfigured look towards wholesome physical intimacy. Sex was created by the Lord, but it must be practiced within the confines of the structure that God made for it, which is within the marriage. And even within marriage, it must be done in a manner that it does not defile the appropriate practice. For instance, there's a world of difference between having sex, treating physical intimacy as a mechanical operation or as an outlet for evil pleasures, versus it being used as an expression of love. And so, even within marriage, sex must be done right. At the end of the day, God tells us through His Word how to do things correctly for our own good. We always need to remember, God's instruction to us is for our own good. Our obedience or disobedience does not affect Him personally. He will be God no matter what. What we choose to do only affects us individually. And so, if we want the best for ourselves, we should choose to obey the Lord, but not because we have to, but rather because we want to, because we have understood His love. The easiest way that I can present this to you is through the concept of just being fair with the Lord. He has made us and given us all things, and has even shown His grace and mercy in the most sacrificial kind of way, by fixing the problems we have brought upon ourselves, our sins. He has given us the hope of salvation through Jesus Christ, not because we deserve it, but rather out of His own free will, because He has chosen to love us. And so, having said that, wouldn't the fair thing to do be to try to love him as much as he has chosen to love us and to try to return as an expression of our appreciation and love for him, obedience, which in turn will only be for our own benefit. I would submit to you to choose to love the Lord and to obey him based on how much he has done for you and also because it is the best thing you can ultimately do for yourself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, Help us to understand, Lord God. The only thing that really matters is to try to understand who you are and what you've done and to come to appreciate those things. And Lord, just be able to come to a point through your promptings, through your Holy Spirit, through your word, to be able to obey you, to just simply just try to do what you tell us to do. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that it is only in our best interest to follow what you tell us to do. Help us to understand, Lord God, and especially in those moments of decision, that when we disobey you, when we look to do opposite of what you tell us to do, we're only causing ourselves harm. We're only causing those around us harm. Nothing good will ever come out of that. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand that through and through. Help us to understand that we need to live your word. To try as best as possible to do those things that please you. But Heavenly Father, help us to understand also that your word is life. Help us, O oh Lord, to not to take your truth for granted, but to appreciate it, to treasure it, but most of all, to be able to do it. I give you thanks for your love and for your mercy, Heavenly Father, because you love us enough to tell us everything that we need to know so that we can have the very best. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Ladder Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.